Since the Mishnah started to talk about the concept of following the majority of a mixture, the Perek, the chapter, has gone slightly sidetracked to talk about different uses of this rule that we follow the majority. And in particular, the Mishnah is now talking about a city in which there are both Jews and non-Jews, and the law depends on who makes out the majority of the city. Motzabor Yorok Nimkar, if somebody finds vegetables that are being sold in the city on Mitzvah Shabbos, and they are fresh vegetables, and because of that it's presumed that the vegetables were picked that very same day, and it is forbidden to pick vegetables on Shabbos, to uproot them from the ground. And the law is that if a non-Jew performs a malacha, a activity that is forbidden for a Jew to do on Shabbos, if a non-Jew does so on behalf of a Jew, it's forbidden for that Jew to benefit from that which the non-Jew did. In fact, even after Shabbos has ended, it's forbidden to benefit from it, in case somebody comes to request from a non-Jew that he perform a malacha for him on Shabbos. And if it was permitted to benefit from such an activity as soon as Shabbos goes out, there still exists a concern that right at the end of Shabbos, one might ask a non-Jew to perform a malacha for him. And because of that, one is only allowed to benefit from that which a non-Jew did on his behalf after the amount of time has passed at the en- after Shabbos has ended for that activity to be performed. So the Mishnah says, If the majority of the city is made up of non-Jews, then it is permitted to buy those vegetables immediately as soon as Shabbos has ended. Because the vegetables were picked from the ground with the non-Jews in mind. Because it's them who make up the majority of the city. If the majority of the city is made up of Jews, then Yamtin, you would need to wait for the amount of time that it takes to bring vegetables from a nearby place, to pick the vegetables and to transport them to this city, because that's the amount of time that the activity from the forbidden activity from which you are benefiting took. If the city is half Jews and half non-Jews, so that means that the people who pluck the vegetables in order to sell them, did so with both the Jews and the non-Jews in mind. And because of that, you need to wait for the amount of time that it takes to transport vegetables from a nearby place after they are picked, and only then would you be able to buy those vegetables. And the mission ends off, if there is a important figure, such as a government official, who lives in that area, so then the merchants would always be particular to make sure that they have vegetables available for this important person. If one finds a baby or a very young child who has been thrown out, abandoned in the street in a particular city, in Rov Goyim, if the majority of people in that city, in that area, are non-Jews, then Goy, we would consider that child to be a non-Jew. He wouldn't be obligated in the mitzvahs, and he would be assumed to have the status of a non-Jew based on the majority, the Imre of Israel. And if the majority of people in that area are Jewish, then Yisrael, he would have the status of a Jew. If the city is made up of half Jews, half non-Jews, then Yisrael, he is considered to be a Jew, but over here, it's out of doubt that he's considered to be a Jew. In the first two cases where there is a majority, so the concept of following the majority says that we follow it fully. We're able to rely on that totally and assume that he is either a Jew or a non-Jew based on the majority. In this case where it's half-half, so it's a full doubt. So when the Mishnah says that he's considered to be a Jew, that is in terms of stringencies. 
out of doubt, he needs to assume himself to be Jewish. He has to keep all of the mitzvahs. But he wouldn't be able to marry a Jewish woman, for example, because there's a possibility that he is a non-Jew. Now, if his status is truly doubtful, why does the Mishnah say that he is a Jew? In the same way as we consider him to be a Jew only in terms of stringencies, we also are concerned about the fact that he is a non-Jew. So what does the Mishnah mean that we consider him to be a Jew? The Gemara elsewhere explains that the Mishnah is referring to a particular law with regards to damages. The law is that if a Jewish person's animal causes damage for the first time, it was unexpected, he's obligated to pay for half of the damages, whereas a non-Jew's animal that does damage would obligate the non-Jew to pay, f- to pay full damages. The Mishnah is coming to say, therefore, that since this person's status is doubtful, if his animal causes damage, he would only be obligated to pay for half of the damage, just like a Jew, because there is a very basic rule in terms of monetary law that If somebody wants somebody else to pay him money, he needs to bring a proof that he's entitled to that money, and until he can prove it, he won't receive it. So in this case, essentially, the victim of the damage needs to prove that the owner of the animal with the damage is not Jewish in order to receive full payment and full compensation. And since it is a doubt in this case and he can't prove it, so he won't be able to claim more than half the damages. And that's what the Mishnah means, that in terms of that law, this person would be considered like a Jew. Now, the Mishnah ends off with Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says that it's not correct to say that if the majority of the people in that city are Jewish, then we assume that the child who was abandoned there is Jewish. Because we go according to the majority of people who might abandon children. It's extremely rare for a Jew to abandon their child in the street. The majority of people, of children who are abandoned, are indeed not Jewish. So that is a more relevant majority to follow in this case, as opposed to the majority of people who live in that area. If one finds a lost item in a city, in Rov Goyim, if the majority of the people in that city are not Jewish, in then the one who finds that item is not obligated to announce his find and to seek the owner of that item, because the mitzvah of Hashavah Saveda, returning a lost item that somebody finds, is only in a case where the owner of the item is assumed to be Jewish. And since over here the majority of people are not Jewish, we can assume that it did not drop from a non-Jew. Now that having been said, if a non-Jew were to prove that he was the owner and that he's the one who lost it, then you would be obligated to give it over to him. Because monetarily speaking, he is the owner. The Mishnah is just coming to say that the Mitzvah Shavas Aveda, to actively go out and search for the owner, that only applies if the owner of the item is assumed to be Jewish. The Imre Yisrael, if the majority of the people who live in that area, in that city, are Jewish, then Tzorach Lahachrez, he is obligated to announce his find and to search out the owner, because the Mitzvah Shavas Aveda does apply, and Mechza if it is half-half, half the people in that area are Jewish, half are not Jewish, so essentially there is a doubt as to whether the Mitzvah applies, there's a doubt as to whether we assume the owner to be Jewish or not, and the Mishnah says Tzorach Lahachrez, he is therefore obligated to announce his find, and the mitzvah of Shavas Avedo will apply because the rule is that Sophic the Raisa Lachumra, a doubt in a case of a Torah law, is ruled stringently, and therefore, out of doubt, he would be obligated to perform this mitzvah. 
Continues the Mishnah. Although bread might contain only kosher ingredients, nevertheless, with Jabonon, bread that was baked by a non-Jew is forbidden to eat. This is called Pasakum, bread that was baked by a non-Jew. And at least in the times of the Mishnah, this decree applied even to bread that was baked by a professional baker. And the reason for this decree was in order to create a certain distance between Jews and non-Jews so that they don't become too friendly which might lead to intermarriage, and a similar example of this is that they also prohibited eating that which was cooked by a non-Jew. For example, meat that was cooked by a non-Jew, we'll see about that in the next Mishnah. And in both of these cases, it's relevant of the fact that the ingredients might all be kosher. The very fact that it was baked or cooked by a non-Jew makes it prohibited to eat Midrabonon. Multiple pass, if somebody finds bread and the bread doesn't have any distinguishing feature via which one might be able to find the owner of the bread, and therefore the person who finds it is allowed to keep it. The question is, what is the status of that bread? The Mishnah says that we follow the majority of the bakers in that area. If they are Jewish, then the bread can be eaten. If not, then it is forbidden to eat it. If the bread was made of very fine flour, it was very good quality. This generally was not baked by the professional bakers, but rather by more wealthy people who baked it privately. And so the Mishnah says that we would follow the majority of people in that area who eat this good quality bread. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says in Haisa Paskevar, if it was coarse bread, which is worse quality than regular bread that the bakers would bake, and usually this was baked by poor people, the Mishnah says that we would follow the majority of people who eat that kind of bread because it can be assumed that it came from them, and therefore we follow the majority of that category of people, whether they are Jewish or not. If the majority of those people are Jewish, then the bread can be eaten. If the majority of those people are not Jewish, then it cannot be eaten. And although this Mishnah implies that it's specifically Rabbi Yehuda who says this, we are going to understand that there's not actually an argument to the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda is just bringing an additional example. Mishnah tests. Multiple bossa, if somebody finds meat inside of a city in which both Jews and non-Jews live, and once again, the meat doesn't have any distinguishing feature via which one is able to find the owner of the meat which means that since it's been lost, the person who finds it is allowed to keep it. Now, the meat is raw, and one is able to see from which animal it came, and it came from a kosher animal. So it's raw meat of a kosher animal. The question is whether the animal was slaughtered correctly or not. So the Mishnah says, We would follow the majority of the butchers in that area. If they are Jewish, then we can assume that it was slaughtered correctly with a valid shechita, a valid slaughtering that would permit the animal to be eaten. But if the majority of the butchers in that area are not Jewish, so then the animal was probably killed in a way that is not valid shechita to permit the meat to be eaten. Adds the Mishnah, In home of Vushal, if you found cooked meat... Then there's an additional concern, that even if it was slaughtered by a Jew, so the meat itself is kosher, it could be that it was cooked by a non-Jew. And with Jirabonon, it's forbidden to eat food that was cooked by a non-Jew. So the Mishnah says that we would need to follow the majority of people in that area who eat cooked meat. And this is specifically a stringency, meaning even in a case where the majority of butchers in the area are Jewish, if the majority of people who eat cooked meat there are not Jewish, then it would still be forbidden. So you would need both the majority of the butchers and the majority of people who eat meat which is cooked in that area to be Jewish. 
If we're lacking one of those factors, then the meat would already be forbidden.